We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. So what is the movie about? For me, it was about, you know, the fact that black people, but specifically black women, are often given these things that seem like choices, but they're not really choices. And they're not ever given any context for the decision making. So I didn't want the hair itself by itself to just be the wrong play. It's the fact that Anna gets the hair, but does not have access to her own history, her own culture, doesn't actually know what it is she's dealing with because that is denied to black people. And then on the other hand of it, she's got this system that's all about zapping her for her best ideas and for her best work and for her image and for her look, but doesn't really care if she herself lives or dies. So that, to me, is what I wanted the movie to be about. And that's why it became sort of about, like, you know, there's this legend that Anna doesn't really have a connection with because who does? One of the things about the research process for me is I found all these wonderful myths and stories, like plantation stories, uh, and this is the kind of stuff that we sort of grew up thinking is just racist. You know, black people don't read Br'er Rabbit. Like, that's just, we don't do that. But the fact is, is that weirdly enough, if you contextualize it, there's all kind of lessons that we actually have been leaving for ourselves. Uh, and this is another example of what happens when you cut people off from their histories. We don't actually have access to the lessons. Justin Simeon has come out with a new movie called Bad Hair. It's on Hulu. And it's wild. It's sort of a horror movie. It's sort of a comedy. It's all about the 80s. And it's all about a sister who gets a weave that she doesn't realize is homicidal and starts killing people. It's crazy. You gotta see this movie. It's on Hulu. It's called Bad Hair. It digs into all the politics of black hair and it's amazing. I talked to my man, Justin, about making the film and just all the details of creating it, shooting it, editing it, everything. If you care about making film, this is the director's commentary you never knew that you needed. You'll get half of this here for free. You'll get all of this if you subscribed to Torre Show via patreon.com slash Torre show that's patreon.com slash Torre show let's dig into it it's my man justin simeon talking about his new movie bad hair on Torre show i saw the movie i liked it a lot i thought it was funny and scary and deep and made a lot of uh it, it spoke to me in a lot of different ways. Um, Thanks, man. You called it a love letter 
to black women and definitely as black men, there's nothing that society insists that we do that is like painful physically and emotionally. And there's no girl who has not gone to the hair salon and had pain and walked away. Like, what the fuck was I doing? And like, <laughs> so it related all that. I mean, just even from the beginning scene of like, she wants to get her hair done and it's painful. And like, what we talked about this movie the first time you were on the show, but like, let's dig into it even more. Why did you want to do bad hair? So the first, the first time I started thinking about it, um, my producer, Julie, who actually financed Dear White People and another producer, Angel, they had just seen a movie called The Wig, which is a Korean horror film about a possessed wig. Uh, very, very different film, but fascinating. And it kind of made me think, you know, why doesn't this sort of exist in America? There's actually this like this hair subgenre uh, in Asian horror films that either involve like possessive evil hair or uh, otherwise it uses, you know, hair and hair imagery as like, you know, as a horror kind of effect. You can kind of feel that like in the grudge or the ring. Um, and there really weren't any sort of American examples. And it, it started off as kind of a joke, like, well, that'd be a really schlocky kind of crazy <laughs> B movie. Um, and and that that tends to be how a lot of stuff starts with me. It's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> for a film that would never work <laughs> and then it just it. sort of burrows into my subconscious and i think what it was for me is that you know realizing that as a I, i've loved horror movies and thrillers and psychological thrillers and particularly like you know what jordan peele calls social thrillers uh movies like rosemary's baby or step for wise where there's like a, this other layer of like commentary i've loved those movies like all my life like uh, the first movie i remember ever watching is the whiz but the second is nightmare on elm street too and uh i watched it at a very young age not okay but i i've loved these movies and yet i never i never imagined making one and i realized that the reason i never imagined is because i i'd never see it i never i'd never see really that sort of uh black horror hybrid thing that you know now that i've made the movie i've actually like seen a lot of those films but i don't know i was kind of angry that like it hadn't come up for me personally before and uh and the more i just sort of researched i just found so many things i could say uh and and i just got really turned on honestly from a filmmaking standpoint you called it a, a love letter to black women what does that yeah. mean yeah I honestly wish I'd never said that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it, it's a very like, it sounds very patronizing. Like, you know, black women don't need a love letter from me. Like they can, they can write their own letters, you know? <laughs> well, it, it's about the black female experience much more than the male experience. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, to me, I wanted to interrogate what I found most horrific about, um, American society and one of the most pernicious things about racism, which is that black women are sort of depended upon for so much culture, wisdom, guidance, strength, et cetera. And yet their lives are just completely disregarded by both black men and white people in general. And so I felt like, you know, what would happen in a movie if I sort of, you know, take that kind of uh, sad, scared, white final girl out of the mix and replaced her with a black woman and really interrogated the systems that, you know, in my opinion, kind of leech from black women. And so, 
you know, I, I called it a love letter because that is cinema really is my love language. I also say shade is my love language, but you know, <laughs> when I, when I make a movie about a topic, it's because I'm absolutely obsessed with it and I'm upset about something regarding it. And I, there's something about it. I think people should be talking about. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I mean, it's deeply African-American, this piece, in that the the main character is really dealing with the clash of the present and the past. And the yeah. present is saying, if you want to move up, you have to have, quote unquote, presentable hair. Can't mm-hmm. show up with nappy, curly hair. You got to be long and straight and flowy. And yep. so she goes for that convention. Um, but at the same time, she's dealing with the legend or the myth of the moss hair and the hair itself is homicidal. (laughs) Listen, happens. 
<laughs> At least in my universe. <laughs> um, I mean, like that, talk about that clash of like, she's dealing with the demands of the past and the weight, the demands of the present and the weight of the past at the same time. Well, it kind of comes down to that sort of, like every horror movie has a bit of this formula stuff. And one of the things that most horror movies do is that the lead character commits some kind of fatal sin. Mm. And that happens to be what the movie is all about. And I immediately knew that like, I can't make the sin getting the hair. Like I can't like blame this black woman for making what seems like a choice, but which is in fact a demand of her life and times, because if she doesn't get that hair and she doesn't sort of make the choice that all of the advertisements in the film and all of the music videos in the film and every person in the film is sort of edging her to do, if she doesn't do that, she gets evicted or, or worse, uh, you know, in this, in this sort of dirty, dark uh, Los Angeles that we create in the movie. And so like, I knew it couldn't be about that. It had to be about something else. Uh, it, it couldn't be about, is it right or wrong to get a weave? That sort of is beside the point. She doesn't really have a choice. So what is the movie about? And and for me, it was about sort of, uh, you know, the fact that, that Black people, but specifically Black women, are often given these things that seem like choices, but they're not really choices. And they're not ever given any context for the decision-making. So I didn't want the hair itself, by itself, to just be the wrong play. It's the fact that Anna gets the hair, but does not have access to her own history, her own culture, doesn't actually know what it is she's dealing with because that is denied to black people. Um, and then on the other hand of it, she's got this system that's all about zapping her for her best ideas and for her best work and for her image and for her look, um, but doesn't really care if she herself lives or dies. So that to me is what I wanted the movie to be about. And that's why it became sort of about like, you know, there's this myth there's, you know, there's this legend that, you know, Anna doesn't really have a connection with because who does? You know, one of the thing about one of the things about the research process for me is I found all these wonderful, um, you know, myths and stories like plantation stories. Uh, and this is the kind of stuff that we sort of grew up thinking is just racist. You know, black people don't read Br'er Rabbit like that's just we don't do that. Uh, but the fact is, is that weirdly enough, if you contextualize it, there's all kind of lessons that we actually have been leaving for ourselves. Uh, and it's just another example of what happens when you cut people off from their histories. We don't actually have access to the lessons. Um, give me just like a little platform because I'm going to give you a little speech, I guess. Go ahead. <laughs> but I love one of my favorite sort of examples of this is the tar baby. Um, I grew mm -hmm. up just understanding tar baby is like a, is a racist thing to say to somebody. And it is OK. It very much is. But the actual idea of the tar baby comes from these Br'er Rabbit you know, songs of the South kind of stuff that, you know, nobody really learns at school. And the point of it is that uh, he creates a, a baby made out of black tar. Uh, and it's the, I think it's the wolf or the tiger or something's coming after him. And the tiger or the wolf or whatever the bad guy is, is slashing at the tar baby. And the more he slashes at it, the more he gets stuck. And it's actually a lesson about turning white people's fear of us against them. You know, it, the fact that he, he read his enemy into this black tar and and lashed out against it and actually got himself stuck. That's like a lesson for black people that we don't have access to because all of this history sort of goes into a box of the racist past. I always thought the tar um, baby. That's kind of where that came from. And this doesn't contradict what you said, but I always thought the tar baby myth or story was was a lesson to just anybody that sometimes the more you fight, the more stuck you will get. And sometimes you, the, yeah. 
I think that that's the I think that's the sort of um, Americanized sort of meaning that we all sort of agree upon. But I just think there's no way to read that as a black person and not see that it's also about blackness. I mean, it it, it is such a rich image, a baby glistening, shining black. Like you can fight in a way that is more nuanced then you could survive the black baby trick. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like you maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But as a black person, you know, we are often traumatized by yes. their shit, their yes. shadow projection onto us that we can't fight back. We don't know what's good. We're confused. We're divided and we're conquered. Um, the tar baby sort of story is an example of, you know, using this irrational fear that the tiger, I think it's the tiger has, against the rabbit, against him. Uh, and that to me is like, that. that's just like a little tiny, little gem of a nugget of, you know, something that would be very useful to marginalized people in this country that we just, we don't, we don't get that read of it. We get told, you know, it, it means sort of fighting a losing battle or it's a racial epithet. It's in songs of the South. Don't pay attention to it. It's racist. <laughs> don't go back there. Uh, but actually, if we take the time to pick this stuff apart, um, you know, there's stuff there for us. And so to me, that's what the tragedy of it, of the movie is, is that's the horror of it is that the system she's put in, it's just not made just, for her, you know, um, and it's not made for her to like you, understand what's happening to her. And that's how, that's honestly what I feel. You is happening just to came us out on Hulu, but this was shot and done before coronavirus, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, um, oh my God, I've been, I was making this movie forever. We actually shot, I finished shooting the movie before we began production okay. on Dear White People season three. So um, during Dear White People season three, while we were shooting that, I was posting on on Bad Hair. And then we had a lot of conversations about, should we try to sell it direct? Because it's an independent film. Do we try to sell it directly to a studio? Do we take it to a film festival? And just the way it all it all played out was like, okay, well, let's go to Sundance. Let's premiere there. Let's, you know, get picked up there and let's figure out when it gets released later. So it just sort of, you know, by nature of the independent film business has just been kind of waiting. <laughs> I've been waiting to release it for some time. Wow. Wow. Um, it's set in 1989, which gives you a particular look and style. The clothes are bringing back all kind of memories for me. Um, <laughs> Why would you do that moment and the look of it? It it purposefully does not look like a sharp modern movie. You get you chose a specific look that that evokes that that eighties period. So why did you make those choices? So I we shot it on film. You know we shot it on sixteen millimeter film, and uh, for an aesthetic reason, it sort of grounds everything. I mean the movie is absolutely absurd. I mean the concept <laughs> of the movie is crazy. So like you have to kind of fight that in some ways and i and i felt like if it was this crisp beautiful digital modern kind of image you sort of got nowhere to go from that however if we sort of put it in this very dusty film grain kind of world that almost feels like this movie could have been made in 1989 we just haven't heard about it until just now you just sort of buy some of the crazier stuff um, a little bit easier. Uh, the special effects also, I wanted to be wanted to be practical where possible. So there's a lot of digital alteration going on, but every time the hair does something, it's based on a practical effect with actual hair in the frame, in the camera. And that sort of softness that you get from the film hides 
a lot of the puppeteering and a lot of the wind blowing and a lot of the stuff we were doing to get the hair to move. So, uh, you know, it was good for the effects. It was good for the look. It was good to sort of ground us in something of a reality before it really goes off the rails. Um, but the, the real reason is that I was led there by the research. You know, I sort of looked into like, when did hair weaves become so prominent in America? And 89 really is a major turning point. And I saw some, just some tantalizing cultural moments that like, I personally, I don't, this is not, this is not a thing that people research, but I personally saw a connection between say like Janet Jackson and the pleasure principle video doing that somersault off of the chair, that hair going everywhere and landing perfectly in place. That sort of, you know, you get that in like 87 or 88, and then you get rhythm nation, Janet, and suddenly the weave is everywhere. And, you know, obviously, like, there was a clamor in popular culture. You see it with the Jody Watley. You see it with uh, Karen White. You know, having that kind of hair as a Black pop star uh, had to have had an impact on <laughs> on sales and just sort of the, the, the knowledge of and ubiquity of the weave. So I just thought it was an interesting time period. Last sort of, you know, because I always got to do too much. The last sort of reason why I thought 89 was great is because it's sort of we all remember it as like uh, kind of like black renaissance. You know what I mean? It was like black artists were breaking out that weren't Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston, who were undeniable. It was people like, you know, Janet and Belle Biv DeVoe and people who had like energy and attitudes. And it wasn't about perfection. It was more like the average black person could be a pop star at that time. Uh, black films were getting made. Independent filmmakers were being discovered. And, and much like all of the black renaissances, you know, it would be over just a few years later. And the music we innovated and called New Jack Swing would just become pop music that Britney Spears was singing. And, you know, all the black filmmakers besides Spike and, you know, Singleton never heard from them again. You know, it sort of it was like this sort of false renaissance. And I wanted that feeling in the movie. I wanted, I wanted to invoke the, the way this country sort of gives us these things that feel celebratory and exciting and like choices, but actually it kind of fucks us. So wait, um, just to jump back for a second, you, your contention or your research is that um, Janet Jackson is a major, perhaps the major influence on the popularization of the weave. I don't know if she's a the but there is a, <laughs> there's gotta be a connection. Uh, and as a storyteller, I just sort of seized on that. Like I put myself sort of in the position of an average person like Anna and seeing hair that does something I've never seen or never understood hair to be able to do. It's not a wig, it's not her natural hair. And I find out that's something I can get that sort of, you know, that's sort of, I, I can only make a connection there. So, you know, it, whether or not it's historically true for all people or all weaves or something, I have no way of knowing, to be honest, but I couldn't, I couldn't sort of, uh, I couldn't pass it up. You know, you sort of, there's, there's even like a cover. I think it's Ebony, uh, Janet, like, you know, with the hair promoting, uh, rhythm nation. And it's like the year of the weave. Like it, it just sort of fe it felt it felt like if it wasn't related, it'd be an interesting thing to explore in a movie. Uh, so we invented a Janet Jackson, Karen White, yep. Jody Watley, Yep. Amalgamation called Sandra <laughs> to do just that with. Yep, yep, yep. And I yeah, she's fly. I totally saw that. There's a line here that you dance on that's sort of like it it evokes horror, but you're never really scared. Mm -hmm. Um and it's kind of comedic and it's like you know, are they fully, they are, are they fully trying to be comedic? Yeah, they are. Like, like, are you purposely like kind of dancing between like horror and comedy? 
I think so. I also think it, it depends on how you see the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, there's screenings where people were laughing a lot and I was like, Oh, I didn't know it was this funny. And there are screenings <laughs> where, you know, there's no audible reaction and you know, people are showing me like claw marks on their hands. They were so tense. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know we made rope either. You know? So some of it I'm finding out <laughs> just seeing how it plays. But yeah, I, I wanted to dance between those two tensions. I mean, you know, all of the movies that I really love in this space are kind of jumping between camp and traditional horror and, you know, something more akin to a thriller and a drama. They, they sort of jump between those things. And I think, um, I think cause all horror movies are kind of dream films, you know, and mm -hmm. it, it's sort of, it's hard to talk about these things in a straightforward way. Uh, I think that's why horror movies are, are so great at, at talking about social topics. Like you look at something like Rosemary's baby, for instance, the movie's literally about giving birth to Satan's love child. Like, that's an insane thing to make a movie about. Right. And there are parts of that movie where you're laughing hysterically because, you know, the the neighbors are just too freaking weird. They're just too weird. Like, why are these people in existence? Uh, and yet there are moments in that movie when your blood is curdling and there are yeah. moments when you really fear for her. And the whole point of it is to recognize how vulnerable this woman. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Woman is. Uh, she seems empowered. She's got the short hair. Bia Farrow looks amazing and everyone's propping her up. But in fact, these people are all taking advantage of her. Uh, and it can't make that point in a straightforward way. It has to sometimes be camp. It has to sometimes be a dream. It has to sometimes, it has to sort of dance in those different things for us to even like have that conversation in a movie, if that makes sense. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Toure. Be sure to check out Democracy-ish, where we channeled the frustration, rage, and absurdity that was the 2020 election, as well as discuss the current state of the political climate and our country from a Black perspective. New episodes available every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream your podcasts. One thing I feel in this piece, because in a lot of horror films, there's a supernatural element, right? And you have that. 
But in a lot of white dominated horror movies, which is like 99% of them, <laughs> there's this external crazy person who is coming at you, right? You have just a normal person who is being set upon by society. And there's kind of this sub message of like, yo, being black can be so scary and so difficult that just trying to deal with normal shit will have you freaked out of your mind as opposed to, you know, we got some evil clown or some <laughs> evil, you know, jail escapee who's like, we have to escape him. Like, no, no, the the call is coming from inside the house. It's on your head. And it was given to you by your friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, I think this is accurate. I mean, it's so easy to make it a villain, but the black experience is just not that simple. I'm sorry. Like half the time, I don't even know who did it. I mean, that's why it's like part of why, you know, it's so frustrating being black. I actually think I read this in your book first where you just have the sneaking suspicion of racism before you can even put your finger totally. on what exactly has happened to you. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to bring some of that into the movie. And, and you know, the influence there is, is probably the Halloween movie that everyone hates, which is Season of the Witch, which I happen to love. Um, where it's actually not explained at all what the motives of the bad guys are. We see that, you know, through advertising to get all these kids to wear these Halloween masks. And spoiler alert, uh, that's not a good idea for these kids to be wearing these Halloween masks uh, on Halloween's Eve. But they wear it anyways, terrible things happen, and it's never explained why they're doing it. And that is actually so horrifying to me. That actually, like, fills me with an actual palpable sense of dread. Similarly, Little Shop of Horrors works the same way. Like, you know that they're aliens, you know it's a monster but there's no logic given to why this is even happening uh and i wanted to borrow some of that you know there's there's like a there's an existential dread to me that was more important to hit than say like you know the 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 more maybe palpable scare of like there's a murderer in the house and we're running away from them specifically i think blair witch project might be my favorite horror movie i mean that and like oh, us yeah, right like but it's like there's just this existential dread, like you say, yeah. that like like we are walking into like, <laughs> I, I don't know what, but I can't stop walking away from it. Um, yo, your cast in this is insane. Like every scene I'm like, oh shit, like there's <laughs> my man Blair Underwood, there's Usher, there's, you know, Jay Farrow, there's this one, that one. I'd be like, you know, Lena Waithe, like you're killing it. Let's talk about some of the casting choices. And yeah. <laughs> the number one, uh, the awesome Vanessa Williams is oh, your so main villain. Uh, talk about getting her involved in this, having her play like your big villain, um, <laughs> and like just what it was like to work with her. Because she's been a star. She's been a star like your whole life, right? Like yeah, I, I, mean, I remember I'm, I'm her upset. winning Miss America. You probably were a baby when that happened. I'm obsessed with Vanessa Williams. I mean, come on. I'm a gay black man making a, a campy horror movie about the late 80s. Obviously, she's obsessed, you know? And uh, it, it was sort of like we we had to figure out who Anna was going to be because the big thing was like if Anna was going to be like a, known, a, a big star, like a known person, that would shift the way we... And, and when we landed on Elle, um, it was like, okay, cool. So we can kind of go name on her opposition and it was just a very short list, frankly. Vanessa Williams was on it and said yes to a meeting and we met and it was just like we fell in love. Like it really was, uh, you know, every every casting 
uh, was really precipitated by this kind of conversation where we just talked about what kind of movie are we making? It's a weird movie. Uh, it's independent. This is what I think the movie's about. What do you think? The, you know, I, re I really wanted to kind of be, uh, to go in full heart, eyes open uh, with each of these cast members as fellow storytellers. And, and it was through that conversation, we just really connected uh, over the over the material. And, you know, she just, she just proved that she was Vanessa Williams like every chance she got. Like she was like so down to do all of the stunts. She was, you know, not shy at all. There was no ego really. It was just, she was very aware that she was Vanessa Williams. She would like, she would give you these take. I mean, like I, it was like, I was like constantly marveling at her work throughout the entire process because we went through the shooting and that was great. And she was just awesome to work with on set. But then I'm in the edit room and I'm realizing that in each take, she's giving me, uh, like she's, she's allowing me to turn the dial up or down in some, in some area. And, and it, it was so like, she just does things like that. It, it was just so, it was just like, I was just in awe, honestly, of, of her process, but also like how easy she was to, to, to play with. It's amazing game. to hear that because some people stick around for a long time and you may wonder why, and you hear stuff like that and you can see like, this is like a super pro who's giving yes. you options for the edit room. Stuff I didn't even think about, you know, where she's like, oh, she's giving me like the full camp version. She's giving me the absolute straightforward version. She's giving me everything in between. And she's taking the notes that I'm just giving her on set. It, it was, it's kind of a sight to behold, I have to say. And, and the cool thing too, is that her and Elle bonded so much on the set. And that really set the tone, you know, for everybody else in the cast. I, I, I love seeing my man Blair Underwood. He Ugh. has this great. Another we, one. Like, why is he that? He's so good and he's a nice guy. Like, what the hell? It's amazing. He is a nice guy. I mean, like, yeah. and, and, and just another like super veteran, super pro. And he gives you that sense of like, he's kind of like that old school wisdom guy. And he's always just like, yeah. Hey, you know, like, you know, it's cool. Let me give you this wisdom, but it's cool. Yeah, no, he gives a he gives like a gravitas to it, and um, he's just a delight. Like I don't know, he really is that cool. Like he's that nice. He's that like uh, like how old is he? Twenty five. Like it's crazy, you know. Um, I, I can't think of like anybody that I would want to work with, you know, more. It's just such a pleasant experience, um, and that that to me is honestly becoming very important to me. I have to say, working <laughs> with my, people you like. Not just even like, but people, it's it's so hard to make a movie. And so I want the tough stuff, the drama to be on the screen. And when you can really deliver and be lovely to work with, you're just like a unicorn that I never want to let go of. <laughs> um, you know, you you put in Jay Farrow, who's a great guy. He's been on this show. <laughs> I love him. Um, he's a great person. He's an hysterical person. He yes. works hard. His character is Awful. a dick. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really want, I wanted to, there was versions of the movie where there were different like um, equations of men and women in the workplace. And I thought like, fuck it. Like, let's just make all the men dicks and like, let's make all the kills be guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like, even when, like Anna has this weave in and she's like being tortured by it and all this stuff. At least she gets like the power of the weave on her side. I sort of didn't want to, you know, I was really conscious of like not 
trying to sort of treat women as objects in the movie. I didn't want to over-sexualize women in the movie. And I didn't also, it's a horror movie, so bad things are bound to happen, but I didn't want it to sort of be about like all of the ways in which a woman can die, which sure. you know so often horror movies become, frankly. And, and, and this thing really began, you know, with me sitting down with a, a, a tight knit group of black women who were part of my creative circles and, and asking them like one, like, you know, I think I can tell the story, but like, I don't want to fuck it up. And I don't want to sort of, you know, be a misogynist by accident, like help me here. And a lot of it really, a lot of where I went with that movie came from those early conversations. And that was a reflection of that, to be honest with you, uh, you know, cause how many times does a woman sort of a femme fatale character enter a horror movie and it's just beautiful and evil for no reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought it'd be fun to do that with the guys. Um, you know, I love um, I love Laverne Cox, and oh. I know her from back when she was on Puffy's reality show. So, like, yeah. way back. And wow. it's been amazing to see her come up and become this established actress and have great roles and lots of pieces. So I was excited to see her in this um I know, I mean, I know she's a super pro, so I know working with her is great fun as well. And she provides this great arch, like, you know, you're, you're not tenderheaded, right? Like, just, yeah, she's great. And there's a tension there, too, because um, you don't know who she is, really, throughout the film. You sort of are constantly wondering who she is. I thought it was really interesting to cast Laverne, you know, just as a woman without really making any sort of political statement whatsoever uh, about gender, because I just thought, she's a brilliant actress. And, and the other thing that sort of made it have to be Laverne for me is that when we sat down and had that conversation that I had with every cast member, and we just talked about how complicated this issue is for trans people, people of color, queer people of color. Um, it just felt like, God, that that's the kind of sort of person I want involved in telling this story. Um, you know, Bad Hair hopefully is not the last black hair horror movie. Uh, I, I, there's so many other places to go. And uh, I don't know. It just felt she just felt like the right soul to go on this journey with me. And, and of course, she's brilliant. As and an it's actor. great to see the brilliant Lena Waithe throughout this, <laughs> who always shines every time yeah. she's on screen. Um, talk about working with her. Well, Lena, you know, Lena is, is a homie from back in the day. And in fact, I, you know, Lena is all up and through my first film, Dear White People, but she never speaks. She wouldn't do any lines. I tried so hard. I was like, Lena, you're clearly going to be an on-camera personality. I don't know why you don't see that, but I can see it. Dogs can see it. So, you know, uh, part of it was like, how dare you give your first performance to Aziz Ansari or whoever else, Spielberg, who are these people? You know, so part of it was just payback. Like I just <laughs> wanted her in, in, in something I made. Um, but also just because, you know, we're, we're, we're good friends and I was able to sort of be like, if it's Lena, I can write it to Lena and I can sort of, you know, she's a writer. I'm a writer. We have similar kind of minds about jokes and stuff. And I just thought it'd be a really fun, uh, way to do something with a friend you know and it was it was exactly that <laughs> it's interesting how all this takes place inside a black media company you know hmm. and, and it reminded me some but not black owned not black owned i mean what is what is truly black owned exactly but <laughs> um but it took me back to working at bet and how um you know it's us it's flavor. We're trying to rep the culture. We feel that responsibility to the culture. And yet, at the same time, 
we are being asked to live up to very some very traditional uh, sure. things. We're not like in a truly revolutionary space in many ways. Um, so that's kind of an interesting choice for me. Yeah, I thought it was, um, it, it's the choice that I feel like I'm in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of like we are trying to participate in this capitalist society because that's what, that's what power is. There's no way to really have power uh, unless you have um, money <laughs> or access to money or some power over making money. Um, and so we have to participate in this thing that's literally based on slavery and racial oppression but we're also trying to free ourselves of it. And it creates these very odd choices and contradictions and paradoxes. And, and the thing that kept me up at night, keeps me up at night is like, is this thing going to get me in the end? Am I just going to be some narcissistic asshole, you know, who's just like, I, I live in a nice house. There's like, am I just going to become the thing I hate by participating in this system? Um, that's really the place that I've made the movie from uh, is, is that actual question that I, I have for myself. So, you know, I wanted to put her in a similar position, something I could speak to. And then I think about all of the time. It's like, you know, the crazy thing is like as revolutionary as BET is and was and had to be at that time, you can always look back in the past and look at the places where, okay, maybe that was a little misogynistic, or as you say, maybe that was a little traditional. <laughs> but you can't argue that like that step was needed at that time. So what do, you, what do you do? Like that's just sort of the price of admission it feels like at times. For more from me and Justin Simeon, join us over at patreon.com slash show where you'll get the rest of this conversation about his amazing movie, Bad Hair. Thanks so much to Justin for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Keena Murphy, and Earl Dorsey. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.